You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Construction is going ahead on a massive LNG project in northern BC. It's a $40 billion investment that will see the construction of a pipeline from Dawson Creek to a brand new processing terminal in Kitimat. The province says the project is expected to generate about $23 billion in public revenue over 40 years. Keith Baldry has more on how we got to this point and reaction. And I'm delighted to confirm unequivocally that the LNG Canada joint venture participants as they sit in front of you today at 18 minutes past nine last night took an unconditional FID investment. And so it's official. After years of talk, a massive liquefied natural gas project is coming to Kitimat. So how big a deal is this? Let the Prime Minister explain. Today's announcement by LNG Canada represents the single largest private sector investment in the history of Canada. I like that sentence so much I'm going to say it again. The single largest private sector investment in the history of Canada. Known as LNG Canada, the project will employ thousands of people when it comes to construction and maintain almost 1,000 jobs on an ongoing basis and bring billions of dollars into the B.C. government coffers over time. It is truly a great day for B.C. It's certainly a great day for northern British Columbia. We've been extracting natural gas in British Columbia for 50 years. We do it better than anybody else in the world. Remember that? Christy Clark won the 2013 election largely on a pro-LNG theme. And while she's no longer premier, she took immense satisfaction from today's announcement. Today is the best day of my entire professional life. A key aspect of this project is that it has widespread support from First Nations. History is unfolding before our eyes. We are having a share and we are having our say. But not everyone is happy. Environmental activists worry the project brings with it increased carbon pollution. This LNG facility uh, will blow British Columbia's uh, climate targets out of the water and essentially make uh, uh, liars out of all our leaders, both federal and provincial, who have said it is their goal to bring down our greenhouse gas emissions. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the fight for political credit for this one. <laughs> Keith, everyone wants a little piece of the pie. They want ownership of this. Yeah, well, there's a lot of credit to go around, to be fair to everybody. Christy Clark certainly deserves a lot of credit for kickstarting this back in 2013. A lot of people doubted her that this would ever get across the finish line. John Horgan and the NDP government deserve a lot of credit as well. They came in with some pretty generous tax incentives for uh, to woo LNG Canada, so they deserve uh, some credit as well. And a lot of civil servants really have been working the file for a long time. Uh, Steve Carr, former Deputy Energy Minister, Dave Nicolition, uh, current Energy Minister. And also interesting today, you don't see this in BC politics, Politics very much, Sophie. Christy Clark thanking the NDP government. John Horgan thanking the BC Liberal predecessors. Again, a lot of bipartisanship put aside today. One final note uh, in terms of who gets a lot of credit. John Horgan actually began his career over here as a civil servant working in the energy minister, working to get natural gas out of the northeast sector. What goes around comes around. A pretty big day for BC and a lot of politicians. And a unique one. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Yeah. So, of course, this is huge news for Kitimat, a small town of about 8,000 people now bracing for all the good and the bad that comes with a project of this size. 
And that's where our John Waugh is for us tonight. John, what are locals saying about the trade-offs here? Well, year after year, the District of Kitimat has watched its population shrink, causing businesses behind me to shut down and young families to leave the area altogether. So while many admit there will be growing pains with this new LNG Canada project, they say it's well worth it. At Rosario's restaurant, it was the regulars who didn't return. It's been pretty, pretty bad for us here. At City Centre Mall, it's the stores that now sit empty. The signs of a struggling community are easy to spot in Kitimat, B.C. We've seen some real struggles with families having to move away, um, people not working, EI running out. But there are signs that things are about to change, and residents here are willing to stake their futures on it, now that LNG Canada is officially approved. I think a lot were holding the breath for this. It'll mean that the community is growing again. It's got life and uh, be good for the businesses here. And uh, I think it's going to be great. And while this project is being named the biggest private investment in Canada's history, it's the job numbers that matter most to this community. Up to 10,000 will be created during construction and up to 950 permanent positions will be needed to keep things running. I'm hoping that uh, this will uh, encourage young people to move to our community, young people to stay in our community, businesses to thrive. The promise of work also part of terms set by the Heisla First Nation. We can look forward to a future where our children don't have to go to Alberta to find work. They can stay here with us and that's so important. But there is also real concern about how the district can handle once a dwindling population being doubled almost overnight. Hopefully our infrastructure can handle it, uh, in particular the hospital. While the pressure is real, many say the community's current problems are much worse. I'd rather have those problems any day of the week. At Rosario, staff say what this LNG Canada project serves is much-needed stability, which couldn't have come soon enough. Now on top of the hospital concerns, others include rising rents, lack of childcare, even current staff moving over to work on this project. But the community says it will be looking to the LNG Canada group to help them through these obstacles. Back to you. All right, thanks, John. Now, not everyone is happy with today's announcement. In fact, Green Party leader Andrew Weaver is making no attempt to hide his disappointment. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria for us tonight. Uh, Andrew Weaver raising concerns about climate change and emissions, Richard. Yeah, Sophie, the tone was set when the press release was sent from the BC Greens late last night when this final investment decision did come in, saying he was deeply disappointed, and that just carried on into today. Weaver saying he doesn't believe it's actually possible for the provincial government to hit their climate targets while also supporting this LNG facility. He says his focus now is on the province's climate action plan. That's going to be presented at some point this fall. Weaver's working very closely with Environment Minister George Heyman on that project but ultimately he doesn't believe the targets can be hit and that is hugely concerning to him. What I am convinced of is that we're going to work very hard to actually develop a climate plan because we have we have said all along that what matters it most and singularly is the ability to actually meet the targets. Uh, Mr. Weaver uh, is very passionate about climate action. He's working uh, very closely with us as we develop our climate plan, which will be tabled before the session ends this fall. And we're counting on him and his expertise and his passion to get us to a plan that's credible. 
If Andrew Weaver is not satisfied with that climate action plan, Richard, could he bring down the government? He could, Sophie, but it's looking less and less likely. The reason why Weaver's important is because his three caucus members, including himself, are what's keeping this NDP government afloat. Last year around Christmas time, he said that if LNG went forward, he would bring the government down. Today, the tone has changed. He seems very committed on this climate action plan. It also seems unclear when that actual vote could take place to bring down the government. But Sophie, don't expect it anytime soon. All right. Thanks for that, Richard Zussman in Victoria. And there is much more from Premier John Horgan, former Premier Christy Clark and Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau, not only on LNG, but also Canada's new trade deal with the U.S. You can find those one-on-one -on -one interviews on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash globalbc. In other news, three people arrested in August for blocking construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, all sentenced to jail time today. It does seem a little odd that people would continue to be jailed when the highest court of the land agrees with them. Anti-pipeline activists rallying outside Supreme Court ahead of the sentencing, highlighting the fact they're still being prosecuted despite the project being quashed by the Federal Court of Appeal and construction halted. Two of the protesters were sentenced to seven days in jail, a third sentenced to 14 days. More than 220 people have been arrested since March, 15 people, including today's defendants, sentenced to jail time. Residents of Old Fort, a subdivision south of Fort St. John, are weighing their options tonight. They were cut off Sunday morning when a landslide buckled the only road into and out of their community. Tanya Beja has more on how they're coping right now and the plan for the community going forward. More than 48 hours after a slab of hillside started tumbling down, residents of Old Fort say the damage is still unfolding. It's a big piece of earth. And it's slowly moving um, and just slowly coming across the road and uh, piling up. Uh, it's kind of like a bulldozer, I guess you might say. The landslide began Sunday morning in the community south of Fort St. John, carrying with it trees, debris and three power poles. The Peace River Valley is known to have these happen and it's, uh, this is not uncommon. The uncommon part of this is the size of this particular one. 68 people were evacuated. As a precaution, BC Hydro cut power to Old Fort, leaving those who stayed behind in the dark. Wintertime's coming in a hurry, and if we have no power, we have no heat. And then we have water lines freezing. They've been working really hard today to install two new temporary 80-foot poles, as well as restring the lines, and we're hoping to have everyone's power restored by the end of today. The landslide is about one kilometre from the Site C dam, but BC Hydro says the two are not connected. There's no evidence that the landslide is related to Site C, and the gravel pit used in the area um, is not used by BC Hydro or our contractors. The bigger question is when residents will be able to drive in or out. Only one road leads to Old Fort. It buckled under the slide. Right now it's not safe and we're just waiting uh, until we get the green light from our engineers and then crews are on standby waiting to go in and establish the road. The Peace River Regional District is meeting Tuesday evening with evacuees who are waiting to return home. Tanya Beja, Global News. A warning now from Corrections Canada about a high-risk sex offender released into the community. Jeffrey Goddard will be living in Surrey. He's 28 years old, 5 feet 9 inches tall, and weighs 170 pounds. Goddard has a criminal history which includes sexual assault and impersonating a police officer and firefighter. He's subject to 23 conditions, including 
no contact with anyone under 18, no electronic devices, and to stay away from parks, schools, and community centers. Right now, though, cautious optimism today about a plan to bring an NHL team to Seattle. That is right. Key stakeholders presenting their case to a group of team owners today. Squire Barnes joins us now. It couldn't have gone better for whoever's behind the Seattle franchise. Well, right? it, it pretty much is a done deal now. Now the NHL Board of Governors, the owners in December will vote, and they will vote yes because Gary Bettman has given it the two thumbs up. And despite what you may think of the count, when he speaks, the owners listen because he's made them a lot of money. And he'll make them a lot of money again because Seattle is going to have to pay $650 million ante to get in the poker game. And, and what does this mean for the Canucks? We always think about a split fan base. And, and what, do you, what do you think the challenges are for the club here? I don't think I, I, the, the, the club, the Canucks, are embracing this because they love the idea of a rivalry. This means fans from Seattle may come up and watch a game at Rogers Arena and vice versa, just like you see between the Whitecaps and the Seattle Sounders. And you see the word key earlier. The key is the key right there. Key Arena is being refurbished for about 700 grand. That's where, 700 million, I should say, that's where the Sonics used to play. And that, that went into disrepair, really, when the Sonics were in their final years in Seattle. That's why they left, and this is why the NHL's coming in, because it's getting refurbished. Wouldn't 700 grand be nice? Yes, yes. <laughs> it used to be 700 grand back when, before there were cars, but now it's 700 million. All right, Squire, I know you have more about this tonight uh, coming up in sports. Thank yes, you. Yes, I will, in fact. All right, thanks very much, Squire. The Vancouver Park Board is making a big change at two of the city's most popular spots. All those in favor? That would be unanimous. The board voting to allow beer and wine sales at two Vancouver beaches, but you won't be able to walk the beach with your drink in your hand. The city has approved a two-year pilot program that could start next spring for small enclosed patios at the English Bay and Kitts Beach concession stands where alcohol can be consumed. A BC man is fighting the province tonight, asking for the right to keep two cheetahs on his property in the West Kootenai. As Catherine Urquhart reports, he wants an exemption to the law, despite the fact one of the animals got loose three years ago. It's the fastest land animal, able to accelerate from zero to 96 kilometers an hour in just three seconds. Cheetahs are also ranked as a threatened species, with only about 7,000 on the planet. Two of them live in the West Kootenai, but their future is uncertain. And the key one is to love it. Earl Pfeiffer owns the felines and is now before the BC Environmental Appeal Board in Nelson. He's challenging a decision that denies his application to keep the cheetahs. Mr. Pfeiffer has invested a great deal of money into designing a, uh, an enclosure that exceeds, that exceeds requirements that is, um, and, and will demonstrate um, through evidence that that is in excess of what's required to contain the cheetah. The Ministry of Forest told Global News, as the matter is before the Environmental Appeal Board, we are unable to comment. The Environmental Appeal Board is a quasi-judicial body that has similar restrictions around disclosure to that of a court of law. Three years ago, one of the cheetahs escaped. This photo snapped as the cat walked along the highway near the couple's home in Crawford Bay. Parents were warned to keep their children indoors. Pfeiffer maintains he wants to show the cheetahs to children before they're extinct.
A residential neighborhood on the side of a golf course doesn't really seem like the right fit for a, uh, a game reserve or a, uh, you know, a, a pet sanctuary or whatever he wants to call it. I've seen the enclosure that he's built for it, and it looks like it's going to be a tall fence, and it's I'm, I'm quite comfortable with it, actually. It's unclear when the Environmental Appeal Board will make its ruling, nor is it known what would happen to the cheetahs if Earl Pfeiffer loses his appeal to keep them. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A river rescue with a twist for RCMP First Nations police. They were patrolling the Fraser River in Agassiz when officers noticed a sturgeon stranded in a pond of shallow water. They quickly realized the giant fish was in danger and made a plan to come back early the next morning with biologists to capture and release it into a deeper part of the river. The fish measured eight feet long, weighed around 300 pounds, and is estimated to be around 75 years old. Well done. Well, when you think of forestry, logging in the BC wilderness might be the first thing that comes to mind, but an international conference in Vancouver is focusing on the future of urban trees. That's right. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the experts are talking about how to ensure climate change doesn't turn our cities into actual concrete jungles. Stanley Park is a rare jewel that provides trees with an almost natural setting within a bustling city. Most urban trees aren't that lucky. Urban trees lack space, they often lack uh, soil volume, uh, they have to deal with things like, uh, like infrastructure and, and people abusing them, so, um, so there's a lot of extra pressures on them. But these days, urban trees face even greater pressures, climate change. It's one of the reasons 750 forestry experts have gathered in Vancouver this week for the International Urban Forestry Congress. Climate change, of course, is a, is a big issue, so we see that trees that are already pushed are pushed even further because of more drought warmer temperatures and, and, uh, and all the things that are com coming with that. Things like invasive plants and pests, which used to die off during the winter. Not so much now that things are warming up. So it means there will be more of them around. It means that trees are under pressure for a longer time. So while there was a, a period of rest often for trees, we see that as big explosions of, of pests and diseases throughout the year. Finding a way to save our trees, all our green spaces for that matter, is important for more than aesthetic reasons. We have much better air quality because the trees clean the air. Physiologically you change, your blood pressure reduces, pulse rate reduces. During droughts, communities can help by watering trees or reporting problems. To that end, Melbourne, Australia started the Urban Forest Visual Project, which quickly morphed into something remarkable. We've had four to 5,000 love letters written to tree and some of the most moving and beautiful things that sort of connect in. But it will take more than our love of trees to help them adapt to our ever-changing climate. We need to work with, with horticulturalists, foresters, uh, biologists, but also social scientists, planners, landscape architects to find better approaches and to try to build urban forests that are stronger and as we call more resilient. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The lawyers for two women who accused Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct are casting doubt on the thoroughness of the FBI investigation into the allegations. Attorneys for Christine Blasey Ford are asking why the FBI has not contacted their client after she offered to cooperate in the investigation. And the attorney for another accuser, Deborah Ramirez, says he has seen no indication that the FBI has reached out to any of the 20 people Ramirez says may be able to corroborate her story. The lawyers say they're concerned the FBI isn't conducting a serious investigation.
Donald Trump igniting even more controversy tonight with his latest comments about the Kavanaugh scandal. The president saying Kavanaugh's experience signals a, quote, difficult time for young men who are now threatened with the prospect of living exemplary lives and then being accused with no presumption of innocence. My whole life, my whole life I've heard you're innocent until proven guilty, but now you're guilty until proven innocent. That is a very, very difficult standard. Well, Donald Trump initially built his fame on his fortune, but a new investigation by the New York Times is casting doubt about where that fortune came from and exactly how he built it. President Trump proudly presents himself as a self-made billionaire. I got a small loan, started a business, and it's now worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. But according to a just-published New York Times investigation, the president was given or inherited a large portion of his father's real estate fortunes, worth at least $413 million today. And the paper writes he helped his parents dodge taxes. I got a very, very small loan from my father many years ago. I built that into a massive empire, and I paid my father back that loan. Mr. Trump has said that loan totaled $1 million, but the Times found he received nearly $61 million, which he did not pay back in full. The article also details numerous schemes by the Trump family to help Mr. Trump's parents lower their tax burden, including setting up a sham corporation to hide millions of dollars in gifts and drawing up a plan to undervalue real estate holdings on tax returns. Charles Harder, an attorney for the president, said in a statement, the allegations of fraud and tax evasion are 100 percent false and highly defamatory. But late today, the New York State Tax Department said it is reviewing the allegations in the Times article. Former Treasury Department official Beth Shapiro Kaufman. So if they were underreporting the gifts, then they'd underpaid the gift tax. And that would be something of interest to the New York tax authorities and to the federal tax authorities. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration is investigating a Pennsylvania state police decision to buzz a crowd of tailgaters with its chopper. The helicopter was called in after people became unruly at a huge tailgate party before a football game. The chopper flying so low, the downdraft blew over tents and kicked up debris as stunned campers recorded it for social media. Police say they wanted to send a message to the campers to disperse, but some campers say they were afraid for their lives. A Brazilian woman has made it into the record books with a remarkable feat of athleticism. Even more impressive, she did it in the same place where she almost died five years ago. Off the coast of Nazaré, Portugal, the ocean converges on an underwater canyon, 1,000 feet deep. It's where sea swells turn into monster waves and surfers come to break records. On January 18th, Brazilian surfer Maya Gabera caught the break she was waiting for. On Monday, the World Surf League and the Guinness Book of Records called it. That ride broke the record for the biggest wave ever surfed by a woman. 65 feet tall, more than six stories, and Gabera nailed it. What makes the moment even more incredible is where she was five years ago. This same spot, sucked under and lost in the whitewater. 
She described the moment to outside TV. I was going down a, a really big wave and uh, I lost control of the amount of speed. Put me on the borderline of unconsciousness because of the hit and the impact. She broke her ankle and struggled to get to the surface. Unconscious, it took two minutes of CPR on the beach to revive her. I wasn't really born to do what I do, but I chose my path and I was focused enough and, and lucky enough to be able to chase my dreams and, and make it a reality. Now she has a world record to go along with all that resilience. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. In health matters tonight, good news for parents of babies who suffer from a rare degenerative disease. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the government will now fund an expensive drug that can dramatically change patient lives. Look at those eyebrows. A life-changing day for the Cook family. Ben Cook suffers from type 2 spinal muscular atrophy. And without highly specialized medication, the soon-to-be four-year-old may never walk. The medication, so expensive and so new, it's never been available in B.C. Who's included? Who's not included? Have we been waiting and are we going to wait longer than we have been? So it's been happy and sad all at the same time. And I'm happy to announce because... The B.C. government announcing on Tuesday the medication called Spinraza will be funded for use on all B.C. patients. We are, in fact, listing today Spinraza for all type 1 patients. Biogen will be providing access to all type 2 and 3 patients in British Columbia as well. The drug was approved by Health Canada last November, but its cost had kept it out of the hands of patients. About $100,000 per dose, patients can need upwards of seven doses a year. <laughs> Diagnosed as a baby, her deteriorating muscles have bounced back to the point the kindergartner is now at school walking with her friends. Despite the news today, the SMA community wants to see further steps taken. Newborn screening. Yeah. Like, newborn screening is the kind of the gold standard, and that's what we'd really like to see. The savings, I think, uh, from treating these patients early, as well as treating them, you know, further along with the disease and um, maintaining their health is, is really important. The question now is, when will patients get access? The longer Ben waits, the worse his condition gets. We want our kids treated right away. We've waited too long for this. Too long. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An edible jelly-like ball could help ease the globe's plastic crisis in the future. Uho balls are biodegradable spheres with a membrane made of plant and seaweed extracts that hold liquid but are entirely edible. They were officially launched last year but are now being used to rehydrate runners in some marathons. They will be used more and more in races in an attempt to cut down on the mountain of plastic cups and water bottles typically left behind after a race. I don't know, a little, little gag reflex going on there for some of the people trying it, but it certainly looks interesting. Ontario scientist Donna Strickland has etched her place in Canadian history with a laser. The Canadian researcher becoming the first woman in more than a half century to win the Nobel Prize in Physics, and only the third woman ever to take that honour. Excitement over an accomplishment few ever manage in their careers, but one the University of Waterloo's Donna Strickland can proudly say she has. My husband's closer to the phone. We were still in bed uh, trying to sleep, and he handed it to me going there asking for Professor Strickland because I had already been screaming, what's wrong? So then they said to me, 
this is an important call from Sweden. You must stay on the line. Please stay on the line. Strickland, who's an associate professor at the University of Waterloo, now becomes just the third woman to be awarded the Nobel Prize for physics. Does this help her become now a fool? Professor. <laughs> Without the paperwork. There's a governance process that has to be followed by everybody, including Professor Strickland. Uh, but I told her that she doesn't have to submit a very long CV. One line will be sufficient. The Canadian scientist shares the honor with two others, including Gerard Mourou. Together, they developed chirped pulse amplification, short, intense laser pulses. Likely the most popular use for it is in corrective eye surgery. It's obviously very few people win the Nobel Prize, so why would you want to waste too much time thinking about that? Um. <laughs> it's been over 30 years since Strickland and Maru's article on the technique was first published. She's hoping the recognition from Sweden's Royal Academy of Sciences will do more than boost her own profile, but that of the school she teaches at. This will be a very, very strong message to everybody that if you work hard, you can win a Nobel Prize now. <laughs> But you can also work hard and not win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Shalima Maharaj, Global News. So as I was saying. Oh, she's got a good sense of humor about yes, the whole she thing. She sure does. A uh, beautiful fall day in Metro Vancouver, but not so much in other parts of BC and in your old hometown. About yes. 700 kilometers to the east. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of buddies not too happy about this. The city of Calgary blasted today by an unseasonable blizzard that dropped as much as 35 centimeters of snow in some areas. The storm brought parts of the city to a grinding halt with police urging people to just stay home. Buses were running late or just going nowhere. There were dozens of collisions among people who tried to venture out. So they can't drive in the snow either, then? No, they can't. No, they snow tires on there. Well, it is only October 2nd, so. Right. Oh, There's my God. All right, as we mentioned, as Christy Gordon joins us now, as we mentioned, Christy, uh, other yeah. parts of B.C. also saw some snow. Oh, yeah, the uh, Caribou region got hammered today. Actually, this is the second day in a row for that area. We're getting reports of 30 centimeters that have fallen in the last little while, more in some areas, and it extended all the way from the Clinton area right up to 100 Mile House. Uh, earlier today, there were about 3,000 homes without power. Now about half of them have power back again, uh, but it was really a really heavy, wet snow, and I got this great photo from one woman. She said, I can't believe it. Our bikes are still out in the yard. They were riding them just the other day. So yeah, big transition for those areas as well. Uh, the snow extended down as far south as Kamloops, higher elevations, and Whistler got a whole bunch of it. The first time in the village for the season. Pretty exciting for all the skiers and snowboarders. And this is before the turkey sale, which is pretty uh, pretty early for this time of year. And the bike park hasn't even um, ended. It doesn't even close until October 8th. So exciting for that uh, area, that's for sure. But it is starting to shift out of the region. Still a few areas expecting snowfall. Elk Valley and north of Cranbrook, still a snowfall warning, 15 centimeters. That should ease off overnight, as it will across the Calgary region as well. But we had significant snow on the Coquihalla. This is actually a live shot. Uh, same for the connector, slushy, slippery conditions. Uh, you can see winds are blowing in through that area as well. So we're still expecting 
expecting another five centimeters potentially on the Coquihalla and the connector before it all clears out overnight. Allison Pass and Kootenai Pass on Highway 3 also expecting snowfall and same for Rogers Pass in Whistler. But those areas should just see pockets of flurries, not a significant amount. But the gusty winds create quite a, a whiteout scenario. Now, across the south coast, boy, we had some rainfall today, but it is clearing out and uh, we saw some sunshine right before sunset, that's for sure, and earlier actually. But the winds were strong. We had gusts up to 60 kilometers an hour, especially along the water's edge. At one point today, 7,000 homes without power across Vancouver Island, especially in the Souk area. Now, across the north, clearing out beautiful conditions tomorrow, but tonight cold. Wind chills down to minus 10, and that's the same for the Caribou Central Interior region. Waking up to sunshine, but you'll see cloud cover later in the day, mainly cloudy throughout the day across the south coast, but tonight will be cold, down to 4 degrees. Bundle the kids up tomorrow morning. They're going to need it. It will be chilly in the morning before we warm up to 14 degrees, and I'll leave you with this shot from Burnaby, showing the rainstorm off in the distance, but also some sunshine. That's lovely. Thank you. Lock that away in the memory banks Mm -hmm. for more winter on the way. Mm -hmm. A Colorado homeowner has posted video of his electronic method for keeping bears away from his house. Night vision video captures a curious and probably hungry bear wandering towards his door. The second it touches his unwelcome mat, it runs off. The electrified rug delivers a short, non-lethal shock to any wildlife that steps on it. Kind of like a gentle nudge to encourage them to move on. Would not, Maybe not that gentle. You'd not want that on your nose if you bent down to... No. <laughs> okay, uh, what Squire? happens if you leave it there and the dude from Skip the Dishes shows up? All right. Okay. Well, there's, excited there's about a, this sportscast. Yeah, very, very excited. Be, be ready for something very unusual. <laughs> well, we've seen it before, but this time it's going to be even better than ever. Okay, here we go. Uh, this year's Vancouver Canucks is brought to you by the letter A as an alternate. There will be no C's on the jerseys, no captain this season, and that's the first time this has ever happened. One year the Canucks had tri-captains, but they had C's. This time the Canucks will have four alternate captains. Bo Horvat, whom I think will be the captain by himself next year. Alex Edler, who I don't think will be back next year. Chris Tanev and Brandon, Brandon Sutter. You did it! <laughs> Well done. <laughs> some play on see? some commercial I've never see? seen before. But That's what happens when you come to rehearsal. It all, all works old, so nicely. All the old people know it. All right, here we go. <laughs> you did good. You did really good, young man. Uh, game one of the Canucks season is tomorrow at home against Calgary. Today, Sam Gagne cleared waivers, but he's not going to go to Utica. He's actually been loaned to the Maple Leafs farm team, the Marlies, but he's still under Canuck control. He can be called up by Vancouver. The 23 guys that are here to start the season include players like Nikolai Godolbin, Tyler Mott, but according to the coach, don't get too used to Game 1 Canucks because the roster is always written in pencil so players can be erased. You know, I'd like to think that this is our group, but in reality, there's going to be changes. There's, There's always changes when you're... You know, we're, we're not a team that's sitting there and thinking about winning the Stanley Cup this year and adding maybe a piece or two. We're trying to improve. We're trying to get younger. We want our younger players to take steps. Uh, but the ball's in their court. We've got 23 players. I think they're all capable of playing. Uh, I also think there's, within that group, there's lots of guys that can come out of the lineup just as easily as in the lineup. And that's the reality of where our group's at. With the key arena 
renovation approved, NHL boss Gary Bettman has recommended that owners vote yes on expanding to Seattle. The vote will happen December 3rd, and it should be unanimous with the goal to have the Seattle team, whatever their name is, playing by 2020. The key to getting the green light is the key arena itself. This building's going to be a world-class building, and everyone thought of it as a remodel. It's a new arena. The only thing left is the roof, and it's going to be a world-class facility, probably the best in the country, at least the best on the West Coast. It's going to be great for music, for sports, um, and I think they saw that, and they saw that this isn't just good for, for us in Seattle. They realize that it's going to be good for NHL. Earl Thomas gave the Seahawks the finger on Sunday. Today, the NFL also gave the Seahawks the finger by suspending linebacker Michael Kendricks indefinitely because he pled guilty to insider trading and is awaiting sentencing. Now, the NFL knew this, so did the Seahawks, but Kendrick was appealing a suspension from the NFL. Today, the appeal was basically denied. He's a good player, just not a very good investor. His sentencing hearing is in January. Kidsport has a high-level athlete who wants to help raise money, and this athlete is someone who can literally walk the talk. Evan Dumphy, Olympic race walker, has an ambitious plan to raise funds for a charity he loves. So yeah, month of October, I'm endeavoring upon a nice journey for Kidsport, 25 kilometers a day for 25 days to celebrate their 25th anniversary. That's 625 pavement-pounding kilometers spread out over three weeks for Canadian racewalker Evan Dunphy. It's not his traditional walk in the park. Evan's goal is to raise $25,000 for Kidsport BC so that all kids can play whatever sport it is that they gravitate towards. I've seen firsthand the power that sport has to change lives. Like, sport has transformed me into a completely different person, giving me confidence, taught, taught me work ethic, and, and all these skills you need growing up sport gave those to me and I think that those should be accessible to everyone and kids sport helps make that happen. Three, two, one, go. This is extremely unusual. I mean we don't have very many uh, athletes that can come in and walk 25 kilometers faster than most people can run. Uh, so it's, it's absolutely fantastic to be able to do something that's a little bit unique uh, and raises awareness while also having the mission to fundraise and get more kids in sport. Kidsport BC couldn't ask for a better ambassador. Evans fully committed to taking another run at the 2020 Summer Olympics in Japan. This after he was literally bumped off of the medal podium at the last Summer Games when a Japanese competitor knocked Dumphy off stride to claim the bronze medal. Evan could have appealed. Instead, he took the high road, believing that the contact was accidental. I'm training full steam ahead for Tokyo. Really want that chance to, you know, to, to fight again for the medal and, and be up there on the podium. I, I believe that I can do it. But first, legging out the 25K for 25 straight days while mixing in 25 school appearances to talk about the power of sport. If you'd like to lace up your running shoes and join Evan on his campaign, log on to dumphywalks.com. Jay Janor, Global Sports. The newest NFL star is Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes, who is Russell Wilson-like in his ability to think and run at the same time and then throw. But he did something last night I don't even think Russell Wilson has ever done, and that's switch hands and go from righty to lefty to make a pass. It was against the Broncos, and Mahomes led Kansas City back for the win in the fourth quarter. Here he goes. He's being chased. The left-handed pass to Tyreek Hill for the first down again. He's got the ball in the right hand. Oop. I'll just go left. He's open. And shot puts it. Now that's innovation. Beautiful. Quick thinking. There you go. 
There are a few things considered more British than fish and chips, but the traditional English fare is getting a makeover. One restaurateur in East London is hoping his vegan version will reel in new customers. Brits love their fish and chips, but at this chip shop in trendy East London, there's one catch. There's no fish in here. In fact, there's no animal products at all. There's no egg in our mayonnaise. There's no fish in our fish. It's the latest vegan venture to captivate customers in the British capital. It's quite weird, actually, because it, look, it looks like meat. But it's really battered banana blossom marinated in seaweed and the sea plant samphire to give it a fishy taste. It doesn't say necessarily taste like fish, um, but it does taste really good. It's really delicious, and it tastes more nutritional than... Uh, a normal fish and chips. I think it's a really good alternative. While ditching animal products is not for everyone. So when you say vegan fish and chips, it makes me think the fish bit. Owner Daniel Sutton knows there's increasing demand for vegan and alternative restaurants. It's tough out there on the high street. People want vegan fish and chips. I'll supply it. And he hopes customers <laughs> will get hooked. Tina Krause, CBS News, London. I'm trying try to figure it. out what banana blossom. I've never heard of banana blossom. It's Am I missing something? Banana. Oh, right. I don't know. We should have Googled it before. Brilliant. <laughs> I should have known that. It's a fish-like vegetable? I don't know. I don't know. I'm making it up. I don't know. There's, there it's is a fish-like banana. There's seaweed involved. That's that's what I heard. Tastes fishy. Mm. I'm just, I'm hungry. I'm going to have fish and chips now. Thanks for I'm watching, everybody. That's pretty.